ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George, the assistant to the regional manager behind the glass, talking to other people as we begin our show. He didn't like that. It's not, you know, it's National Man, Taco Day. Out. He's had a rough couple of Do You know, it's a days. national, it's not a Taco Tuesday edition of the Killer Bees. I invented that. But it is a National Taco Day edition you, you celebrate. of the Killer Bees. I did. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage yeah. brought us some tacos. They brought us some beef. They brought us some chicken. They brought us all the fixings, the salsa. I feasted. It was delicious. Thank you so much to Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, taking care of not only the Killer Bees, but no. of the entire station on beef. National Taco Day. Well, if you didn't partake, that's your own fault. There's no, there wasn't any left. There. There's plenty out there. Are you there was kidding? no chicken left. Okay. There was some chicken left, but eat the beef. Like there's plenty of beef. They brought they brought enough for everybody. Some divas don't want any. They don't want any beef, but that's I mean, okay. Thank yeah. you to Valencia's Tex Mex Garage for taking care of the Still entire station. Yeah, uh, except for Blankers because he doesn't eat beef. Apparently, uh, there's playoff baseball going on right now. Uh, the Rangers going for the sweep of the best of three against Tampa, and they have the early lead. one nothing in the top of the four, Toronto, Minnesota. I think it started at the uh, the bottom of the hour, rooting for Toronto in this game so they can beat the heck out of each other, hopefully throw lots and lots and lots of pitching. But as it pertains to us, obviously we have a Houston Astro angle being in the city of Houston. What are the pressing questions that you have for the Houston Astros prior to the ALDS, which begins? On Saturday, the Astros hosting the winner of the Twins Blue Jays series. 713 780 ESPN HRP listener line 713 780 3776. I'll start right away with the pitching staff. Uh, I just, and it's, it's not just Javier and beyond, it, it's the fact that you want the real Framber Valdez and the real Justin Verlander to show up because it is the most important time of the year, and you know that they've struggled a little bit in the second half of the seasons and since they acquired JV. But you also know that they've also pitched very well. JV pitched, you know, basically came up at the biggest time of the year with two starts and pitched very well. But I think the starting pitching, my biggest question is, will they show up? Will they be who we need them to be? Because that is the difference for me between going home early and and returning to the American League Championship Series and beyond. What's your answer to that question? Will they? Yes. Two of the three. Two of the three will step up the starting yeah. rotation. Mm-hmm. With uh, well, you need four probably mm-hmm. more than likely because you're not gonna. I, I don't think that you're throwing out a starting pitcher on short rest in, in game four. Uh, the only way that Fromber, assuming that it's Fromber, we don't know if it's gonna be Fromber. Right. Don't know if it's Fromber or JV. They've not announced anything. Even if it's Fromber, who I think has a better ability to bounce back than Justin Verlander, there, I, I don't think there's any chance at all that Fromber Valdez comes back on three days rest to pitch a game four of the ALDS. I just don't think that it is likely at all. The Astros did it in the past with Verlander and that that Red Sox ALDS back when they had Garrett Cole. I don't see the Astros doing that with Fromber Valdez. I I wouldn't do it either. I I wouldn't. I don't like pitching guys on short rest. I don't either, and I don't think you get the full effectiveness of no matter who you do it with. And they're just not the same pitcher, and you're asking them to be better than someone on full rest that you would think is good enough with some of the pitchers you have on this staff to at least get you through if your offense does anything at all. But when you look at those guys, 
I wouldn't I wouldn't screw with either guy on short rest because I just think they've been too fragile the second half of the season and and, and you expect too much out of them in particular before you even get to Javier and Brown and and France and all the other guys that are going to be in the equation and Arkady. Yeah, the, the answer that I had to the questions, I hope. Like, who knows? Like, I'm more of a let's react to what happened than try to predict and, like, call our shot type of thing. Uh, Matt Kawahara, who is the, the new beat guy for the Houston Chronicle, he posed some of these questions as well. The, the five questions that the Houston Astros have entering Saturday's ALDS. 713-780-3776 for your questions as well. If you have questions entering Saturday's Game 1 ALDS, which we have no idea what time that game is going to start. We have no idea who the Astros are playing other than either Minnesota or Toronto, but you can listen to it right here on ESPN 97.5. The first question that Matt presents is the third and fourth starter candidates. And we talked about this yesterday, like what is our rotation stack up? And all three of us, can you believe that? All three of us agreed on something. It's rare. Fromberg game one, Justin Verlander game two, Christian Javier game three, and then we all agreed Jose Urquidy in game four. I don't think anybody would have any exception to our top three. Like, do you have anybody that vouches for Verlander over Fromberg? Maybe. I don't see that really being the case. Do you have some people saying, well, Javier's not a three. Go with either a, a J.P. France or a Jose Arquiti. You know, maybe a small minority. But I think for the most part, that's your top three. I think that there could be some debate amongst Houston Astro fans, followers of the Strohs, about the four starter. Mm-hmm. I think it's a healthy debate between Jose Arquiti and J.P. France. I think it's probably a 60-40 split, maybe a 65-35 split in favor of Jose Arquiti. Yeah, I think the main thing is is everybody fresh in their mind is Urquidy's last start. And when Urquidy pitched the way he did in Arizona when you needed him most in arguably the most important game of the season, he, 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 he stood up and he performed beautifully, and, and he was big for you. And so people want to see that continue. But you just don't know because it's been such a, he's been so volatile in terms of his performances and those guys in general. That's why it was so hard for us trying to nail down who would be the four. We did not see another start from J.P. France. So we really don't know if he was trending up or trending down. But, you know, this is the playoffs. It's hard to take risks. And if a guy pitched well his last time out, you probably want to ride that wave as opposed to hoping that some guy who now hasn't pitched for a while, you know, or started a game for a while, is going to be a guy that's going to step up for you. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of debate here, um, to be honest. Maybe the, the better way, maybe the better talking point here is, what, what if the Astros do announce J.P. France as their four starter? Which I don't think that they would do. Until the off day, quite honestly, because I think that they would come out. These are our three starters. We're not announcing a game four starter yet, you know, and have in their back pocket that if they must use Jose Arquini or they must use JP France in a game one or game two, which the scenario for that's pretty unlikely. You're probably talking about a 15 inning game at this point. If you have to go all the way down to an Arquini, all the way down to a JP France, you're either looking like at an injury early for one of your starters or you're looking at a, at a deep extra inning game that goes 15, 16, 17 innings. But you still have that as a card that you can play, Mm -hmm. that you still have those guys in the bullpen in a just-in-case scenario. So I don't think the Astros will announce a game game four starter until the off day at the earliest, to be quite frank. But if it comes out later, the off day, whenever it happens, and they choose France over Urquidy, that makes you feel what? If they choose France over Urquidy, that makes me feel like Dusty believes that like what the kid did all season long, put a good feeling in his belly, and that's the guy that he wants to go to. That's the guy that he trusts. And, and we all know, and Dana's basically spelled it out, Dusty makes the lineups. Dusty makes those decisions. I don't know if Dana's involved in the pitching decisions, 
uh, as opposed to not being involved in the, the, the batting order and who plays. But I would believe that we know Dusty sometimes is going to Dusty, and we don't know rhyme or reason why. But I, the only reason why I would see him going immediately to France is him saying, look, the kid's stepped up big for me all year. I trust him. Yeah, see, I don't – this is a very uncharacteristic move by Dusty to, to go with a rookie pitcher who has never done it before that, you know, he's been okay as of late, but his best stuff was whenever he first got called up versus the guy who has done it before and a guy who in his most recent start was absolute nails for you in a big spot. A big spot. So it's, it's very uncharacteristic for Dusty to do that. Let's just put that out there. If it came out that France is your game four starter over Urquidy and they made that choice, like, I'd be okay with it. Like, I, I th- honestly, I think it's six one way, half a dozen the other. I give Urquidy the lean here. Not that it's a crazy lean, but I give him the lean here because of postseason experience and recency bias mm-hmm. in his very last start. But if they come out and they JP France is the game four starter over Jose Urquidy, I'm not going to, like, rake him over the coals. I'm not going to crush them for it. I'll be like, oh, okay, I can understand that decision. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either way because I think that, you know, again, to, to choose uh, Urquidy, it would be he does. He, he trusts veterans. He goes with guys with experience. He thinks that whatever they used to do, they're still capable of doing. And I go back to when, you know, he was going, Santana was, was you know, who's on the downside of his career and then some. And Dusty was still talking about how, what, how you know, feared he was as a hitter. And you got to respect that when you're going up against, you know, him as a poten- with a potential, you know, game tying or winning run on base. We're going, that's the guy that was maybe when he was in the league three, four years ago. Not now. But Dusty has quirky, weird reasons. If he would have, if he would pick France, I would say that's just Dusty being Dusty. He feels it, yeah, and he goes with his gut. I, now, of the Dusty moves, it would obviously be Arcidi over France. Like if we're predicting what Dusty would do, it, it would be that. But I, I wouldn't be too mad if France got the start over Arcidi. But I do lean Arcidi because he's been there before, because he has the the postseason history and rare candy on the Twitch it talks about the accolades that Jose Arcidi has in the playoffs: three and two record, three seventy two ERA. I hope that's right, rare candy. I didn't fact check you. That's my fault if if I'm wrong or you're wrong uh, because I should never trust a twitcher if I'm being completely honest the second question that that, uh, Matt has here is Michael Brantley's availability let's hit that on the other side the other pressing questions what pressing questions do you have for the Astros ahead of game one of the ALDS Saturday which you can listen to on our airwaves 97.5 there's some Aggie business going on there where maybe that broadcast is on 92.5 but you can find it on our airwaves 713-780-ESPN lots to get to CJ Stroud's being disappointed Disrespected? Did you ever think you'd say that at the start of the season? Uh, where does he rank amongst the NFL quarterbacks right now, realistically? If you're not being a slow-moving slow ship, where do you have C.J. Stroud? Uh, it is a Wednesday, so why the face Wednesday? Joe always loves that. Plenty to get to, but you're pressing Astros questions entering ALDS. Playoff, real playoff baseball. 713-780-3776, the HRMP listener line. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's a Pac-Man Joel. He's a Joe George Radio. I'm a Jeremy Branham. Collectively, we are the Killer Beast on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Collectively, you the listener, if you're looking for a HRNP company, human resources and payroll company, it should be HRNP. It's human resources and payroll. It's in the name. It's Cougar owned by my colleague, Okoogs. Members of the Cougar one for the eighth year in a row. You've seen their HRP signage everywhere, including their building off the Beltway, U of H games. 
everywhere. Business owners, let HRP help you. They can help with HR compliance, benefits administration, payroll, onboarding. HRP can help in any or all of those areas. There's no boxes with HRP. They're not just going in there and checking boxes for you. It doesn't matter how small or big the job, HRP will completely customize a plan for whatever you and your business needs. You have a little problem, a little issue, a big problem, a big issue, HRP will find a way to help you out. They do it in a way that's unique too. Technology meets service. They have the best technology that will never let you down, but you'll fall in love with their service. Guaranteed fulfillment. You won't be talking to a stranger on a call board. You'll be talking to someone who's familiar with you, and they're familiar with your business, and that goes a long way. Give them a call right now, 281-880-6525, and let HRP customize a plan for you, 281-880-6525, or check them out at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. 3%. And the Hive is as well. 713-780-3776. He's Blank. I'm Branham. Pressing questions you have for the Astros ahead of Saturday. 1542 brings up a, an interesting point. Or maybe not. I think it's really important for Fromber's confidence that he's the game one guy. Set the tone of the series better, in my opinion. Do you think there's anything to that Fromber's psyche if he starts game one versus game two? I absolutely do. I think that, you know, and and you and I have talked about this. I said that, you know, there has been, there were rumblings when they made the trade for Verlander that, you know, he was adamant that he wanted to establish he's the ace. He wanted to be the, the guy. Well, this is one of those things. It's like the All-Star game. It, it matters to him. Maybe it shouldn't matter to him. You understand that some people, and we know he's an emotional pitcher. We know he struggles sometimes by letting his emotions get the best of him. And certain things bother him, like the not starting the All-Star game. This could be one of those things. I just wouldn't risk it, but I also think he's earned it. I think he earned, he's earned it and deserved it over his performance the last two years. And I think he should be that guy no matter what. But in response to the text, I think it could affect him. Yeah, um, were those rumblings like you? You saw those or like inside sources? Yeah, no, I, I well a little of both, but I had, I had heard from some people, and then I had seen some of the rumblings too that Fromber, you know, and I think even on the telecast they may have mentioned it that you know when he he pitched a no hitter shortly after that, but he really wanted to, you know, it, he had a little extra motivation. Let's put it that way, and he came out and he shoved and he threw a no hitter and he looked like hey. You know, he, he's really on his A game. And sometimes that's the kind of motivation you like, too, because he, you motivate him and, and he steps up big. He, he gets ramped up and sometimes he uses it to his advantage. I, I just feel like I wouldn't screw with it right now. This shouldn't be something that affects his psyche. I 100% think it would. Uh, just look at the All-Star game. Uh, that, to me, is the biggest example. Framber Valdez wanted to start the All-Star game. The Astros, you know, the higher-ups, whether it was Dusty, Dana, the front office, the Nerd Cave, who, who knows, but they didn't want Framber Valdez to start the All-Star game because of his workload, because of when he was pitching on the calendar, et cetera, et cetera, and Framber took his ball, went home, didn't go to the All-Star game, and quite frankly pitched poorly uh, after the All-Star game, and it took him to like kind of like zen out or zen in or serenity now, insanity, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it took him a little while for him to to get going again, to find, maybe it was the Verlander trade that fired him back up. I do think that there is something to that. Uh, should there be? Nope, absolutely not. Is there with a former wild horse in Framber Valdez? 
does? I I, I think so. Uh, Ocho, my questions are, what is the version of the Astros going to lay its hat on? Uh, okay. What's their identity? It used to be pitching in defense. Now they're pitching in defense or shaky, along with just about every facet of their game. Ocho, really high on the Astros here. Jeez, I guess. What is their identity? What are they What are they putting their hat on here? To me, I believe it's their offense. Uh, I believe that, you know, if they put the right lineup out there every night, they have a chance to put crooked numbers on the board, you know, throughout a nine-inning game. And I think that, that that's where they're going to start. They know that they have the capability that we just talked about at starting pitching. They know that they have an above-average bullpen. But I think that their identity, if they're going to go far in this playoffs, is going to be offensively that they can be dominant, that they can put runs on the board in big numbers that can that can kind of catapult them when they need it, and, and I hope that's the case. Yeah, um, I think they can hang their hat on all of the all, all of the above. I, I think that they had the capability of still having a really good starting rotation. We've seen signs of it with Fromber. I think Verlander in his last few starts has been relatively good. We've seen bright spots with Javier, and then after that, you know who knows. Now it's kind of like pray for rain type of thing. But Jose Arquiti was really good in his last game. Uh, the offense is capable of putting up big numbers. Like they had the pedigree, right? You have an Altuve, you have a Jordan, you have a Tucker. You have a Bregman. A Bray, you has been better as of late. Uh, I think that offensively, they can hang some numbers on you, too. And then their bullpen. Like, you go seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And quite frankly, you're probably going to, with those three guys in your back end, with Presley, Abreu, Neris, those are three guys probably to get four innings, however you do it. Whether mm-hmm. it's all of them are going an inning and a third, those three guys are going to be asked to give you four innings in every tight game late. So the starting rotation really has to just get through six innings. Some way, somehow. Maybe some days they go four. Mayton gives you a big inning. Montero gives you a big inning, which is very nerve-wracking to say that. I think they can hang their hat, depending on the day, with their starters. Fromber and JV still capable to shut you down. I think Javier is still capable of doing it. Haven't seen it a whole lot and in a while. Their bullpen can be locked down in the back end, and offensively, you know, if they get it going, uh, they, can, uh, they can produce some big numbers. So I think they can potentially hang their hat on all of those things. I think they're a complete team in a lot of ways. Uh, nine three nine two. why does everyone want to play Minnesota when they're 4-2 and two against us? They're not a great team, but the Royals and Athletics aren't either. It's a good point. Uh, they, I, Astros also, you, you can correct me on this, but I don't believe that Fromber or Justin Verlander ever pitched in a game against the Twins this year. Blue Jays also have a better record this year than the Astros, like Minnesota and Toronto both beat you in the head-to-head in 2023. I'm with you here a bit, 9392. I don't think there's a huge gap between Minnesota and Toronto, quite frankly. But I, my slight lean is Minnesota because they have, I believe they have a little bit more swing and miss in their lineup. All that, that Royce Lewis guy, man, he is a stud. Yeah, he's really good. Um, and, you know, and Correa is probably, you know, he, he's not going to feel anything but excitement coming back to Minute Maid. And he's going to get his guys juiced up. I don't know that he has any secrets on the pitchers or anything like that. Uh, but you know, I, I don't. I don't believe in their pitching staff as much as you do. But I think that they're fully capable. They've got some good starters. Who's that? The 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 Twins. Yeah, they, they do. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray. Yeah, those two guys. Uh, believe me, have my respect, and and I completely will have my eye on them. But I think as you get deeper into games, I think that this is a team that I think the Astros can get to offensively. And I think that the other thing is, you, it's hard to judge the regular season records because if I'm not mistaken, I believe they played them when it was like 38 degrees in Minnesota. So one, Verlander wasn't on the team yet. And two, it was hard to expect a whole lot from anybody starting pitching wise with the weather the way it was. So I think that you know that they've earned their spot, but they were hovering around 500. They were in first place and below 500 at certain points during the year. So I don't think that like comes in and you're supposed to fear them or anybody else. I think on the flip side, though, coming in there, they know that they got their hands full with a team that's fully capable of running the table on them. The the Duran guy in the back end, 
I'm I'm scared of him. That guy's filthy. He throws like 105. Yeah, he throws hard. Wipe yeah. out stuff. He's he's d- disgusting. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Let's go out to the HRP listener line. Willie, you're in the hive. What's up, Willie? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Always. I'd like to say that uh, I hope the pitching and defense get them through. If I was listening to the games last night, and three of them was under games, and the fourth game it was under to the guy give up a two-run homer in the uh, ninth. Uh, most games in the playoffs is going to be a tight game, like the last weekend series. You know, they won one game, one zero. The other one, two to one. So you're going to need some good pitching and defense. If they counting on the offense against a good pitcher, they're probably going to lose. Thank you. Appreciate the call. I think Willie makes a great point about the defense, too. I mean, look, the defense has been subpar all year. And we saw a Tampa Bay team yesterday that was not prepared or or good defensively. Uh, I think they were prepared. They probably just weren't good. Well, I mean, okay, you're right. Maybe I used the wrong adjective there. But they just, they did not look good. They did not look like they had their A game defensively. And, And, you know, I think four blunders later, uh, you can point to that as a good starting point to <laughs> it's a lot of blunders. Yeah, so to why to why you you would not have won that game, and I think that we've seen the Astros have a propensity for not being the best defensive ball club, and they've got to be better, and they've got to be really good coming into the postseason. Yeah, it's been weird because most years they they've been really good defensively. This mm-hmm. year they've not, and it's. I mean, I, I agree with Willie. I think pitching mostly about pitching and defense in baseball. I don't think that in football anymore. I think offenses matter in football more than they do. Uh, defense, but uh, in baseball, I do. And Willie's Willie's right. Three of the four games yesterday were uh, were under on the uh, the total in Vegas. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Back out to the HRP listener line. Mark, you're in the hive with the bees. What's up, Mark? Hey, how y'all doing, man? Uh, we'll go uh, count this time. It's gonna be uh, the batting and stuff, man. And uh, I think uh, once uh, Breggy, I think he's gonna be the one that's gonna be the match. Uh, uh, Kyle Schwab and uh. uh Bryce Harper and stuff from Philly, man, because I think they they go they go come to the thing and stuff. So I take it out there. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mark. I would love to see a rematch of uh, of Houston and Philly. I'll take that. I'll take a rematch right now. I'll take getting back to the World Series and taking on the Phillies all day, every day. Do you realize that three teams in the NL are teams that the Astros uh, played? Already in the World Series between Philly, Atlanta, Dodgers, and L.A. Yeah. So not quite a 50-50 chance that the, if the Astros make the World Series as a rematch because Braves and Dodgers have far better odds. But half of the teams in the National League uh, are teams that the Astros have already met in the World Series. All right, Michael Brantley's availability. What do you think Brantley's availability is? Let's just go with ALDS here. ALDS, Michael Brantley will play in three of the five games. Okay. Um, I think he's going to play every game against righties, quite frankly. Uh, starting starting pitching. I think if it's a lefty, I think they're going to platoon Yiner. I don't think that Yiner starts at all behind the dish. I don't either. Espe- especially if we believe that Arquiti's going game four. The only way that Yiner would start a playoff game, in my opinion, behind the dish is if J.P. France pitches or starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, f- starts. And I don't think J.P. France is going to start. I-, I think you're right. I think the only time that he's going to be behind the dish is if he comes in as a la- later inning replacement or if there is a split start, so to speak. Uh, and you get an Urquidy that goes four or five, and before he goes to the back end of the bullpen, that he start he thinks about a France or he thinks about a Hunter Brown 
that he might look at that as an opportunity, especially if there's a key offensive moment where you might need a bat anyway, Mm -hmm. that he might go that route and then let Yiner work with the younger guys he's worked with. But other than that, I totally agree. I don't see a a scenario where he's going to start a game behind the dish in this series. Um, And I don't know how Dusty plans on using him because if Michael Brantley is healthy, you're right. Against righties, he's definitely going to be in the lineup. Jordan is definitely now, as he got the clean bill of health uh, from Dana Brown, that he's going to be in the outfield. Uh, or in in the lineup one way or the other. So I think those take even more opportunities for Yiner away. Yeah, I don't. Yiner's not going to start over Brantley unless it's a lefty, in my opinion, which is kind of backwards because Yiner has pretty egregious reverse splits. He's much better against righties than lefties, but I don't think they want Brantley to play against lefties. Um, One thing that I'm curious about, too, like a question I have, is the usage in center field with Dubon and Chaz. Like, Dubon's played better than Chaz McCormick over the final six weeks of the year. Chaz, over the course of the year, has played better than Dubon. I think that Dusty thinks Mauricio Dubon's a better defensive center fielder than Chaz, which I would argue I, and boy, disagree I, with. I disagree. Like I want, I do too. I wonder what the ratio of starts in center field is going to be as well between Dubon and Chaz. It'll be interesting. See, look, you're right. One one thing real quick too. Like the left-handed lineup might actually not have Brantley or Yiner in it. It might be Dubon's your center fielder, Chaz is your left fielder, and Jordan DHs. See, and, and I was going to say the only the only conceivable way I can see Yiner starting a game is designated hitter against lefties. Mm-hmm. And, and other than that. He's not going to move Abreu, and Abreu got hot and you know and saved their bacon in a lot of ways in that Arizona series by being the the main offensive weapon to do damage. And, and, and Dusty loves his vets, and I don't think he's going to change that. So Yiner's only real shot to get into the lineup, in my opinion, is to be the designated hitter against lefties. Yeah, I don't, and maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe that's a Dubon center, Chaz it left, Jordan on DH, like sixty forty three. How many bats does Yiner get this series? If I set, let's go plate appearances here. If I set. The plate appearance total for Yiner Diaz in this series. Let's go four. That's where I was going. Let's go. I was trying to decide between three and a half and four. But if he gets a rare start, he's going to do that in one start. Mm -hmm. So four plate appearances for Yiner Diaz in the ALDS. You going over under? I really like to go push because I think that's what he's going to get. I think he's going to get four in the whole series. But if I had to say, I actually go under here. I would go under. I'm going. I don't think he starts a single game. I don't think the only way he does is against a left-handed. I don't even think. I don't even think he starts there. You think, I think they go Dubon Chaz Jordan in that situation. So unless JP gets Game Four, that's the only way, and I don't. I don't think that's likely. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Either. I'm going to go over. Just I'm going to go I, under. I think he'll come in late in games at oh, some point. Okay, but it's a I know, short series. Then, I know, but then he's not. But then he's taken away from Maldi, not catching Presley and these guys. And he's only know. and he's only coming in for Maldi if he's behind. Like that's the thing. So like you have to be one. It's a five game series. So, like, even if you go all five games, that means you've won two of them. So, it means you're trailing. You've, like, say they lose a five-game series. That's really only three opportunities where he's coming in late in the game as a pinch hitter because he's not going to. He's not going to use. He's not going to use Yiner whenever they're leading. He's not going to take Maldi out whenever they're leading a baseball game. And and the rosters, yeah, the roster is going to be interesting too because you know if you're going to make a move and later in the game you're going to go to Yiner and you've already removed Maldi. Now your catching situation gets a little dicey as well, and, and I'm interested to see if Caesar Salad is considered for yeah. the roster for that. I was looking at that today. I really think that the final roster spot's going to come down to Hunter Brown, John Singleton, Salazar. And I, 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 I'm leaning Hunter Brown. I think they go 13 pitchers, 13 hitters, which is rare in an, in an ALDS. Yeah, especially when we're talking about a guy that could be extremely important offensively in your lineup. We're trying to get him in to get him at bats. I mean, if you do it by... If he subs in for your catcher, now he's you're the only he's the only catcher that you got to, to get behind the dish. If something happens to him, God forbid, you're in, you're in trouble. 
Yep. 713-780-ESPN. Did you guys watch the Frontline thing on PBS? I did. My biggest takeaway from this is two things. One, I think it puts the timeline of the Astros stealing signs very much into play. And more than anything else, I took closure out of this. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. You should have already closed your weekend plans. Rocktoberfest and Beer Fest right around the corner at the Kima Boardwalk. It all starts on Friday. Continues all the way through Sunday as well. Free concerts all weekend at Rocktoberfest at the Kima Boardwalk. Get started on Friday. Get ready for everything that's right about rock and roll. This band is really loud with really big hair. The Velcro Pygmies take the stage to rock out with hits from Bon Jovi. Def Leppard Poison and more. Oktoberfest continues Saturday. The day gets started with dance and variety band Yelba. Journey tribute band Escape wraps up the night and then Sunday going out with a bang. Houston's hottest cover band, The Slags, performing today's hottest hits, the classics, and everything in between. Head to KemaBoardwalk.com to see the full band lineup. Make plans Saturday as well for Beer Fest from 2 to 5 p.m. The craft beer fest you've been waiting for. 24 breweries, 72 craft beer samples. And if you buy Buy tickets in advance at KemaBeerFest.com. You get a $5 discount. Full list of breweries can also be found at BeerFest.com. It includes St. Arnold, Carbach, Sam Adams, Shiner, and much, much more. If you're looking for something a little bit more family-friendly, well, you can do that, too. Bring the family to Boo on the Boardwalk. Have a spooktacular time the entire month of October at the Haunted House. Live music, spooky movies, arts and crafts, trick-or-treating, and more. See the full schedule of events and concert lineup at KemaBoardwalk.com. That's KemaBoardwalk.com. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. He's Blank, I'm Branham. Uh, one more text question, Cody. Do you think if we uh, get up two, two up in a series, 2-0 in a series against whether it's the Twins or Blue Jays, do you think Dusty keeps the pedal down or plays conservative and lets some of the young guys play? God forbid he lets – at this point, you know, and it's, it goes back to what I had said last year. I know Dusty was going to Dusty and tinker and do what he was going to do during the regular season, and I just kept saying don't do it in the playoffs, and he didn't. He, he managed his tail off the entire playoffs, and one of the things that he did well was he kept putting the best lineups up, out there, and he put the pedal down. I would fully expect that he keeps the pedal down and realizes, you know, every game that a series is extended – you know, anything can happen, and, you know, the, the chances for things that will come into play. I hope he keeps the pedal down. I expect him to keep the pedal down. I don't expect him to see him tinker the way he did in the regular season at all. I think most guy, most people want the young guys, right? Like, isn't isn't Yiner the young guy that's kind of I don't the person in question Jake. here? I don't want to see, I don't think we'll see know, Jake. I don't want to see those kind of lineups is what I'm talking about. I don't think we'll see Jake at all. Uh, I, I, think that the, I think the most controversial thing will be that Maldonado is going to catch every game. Mm-hmm. Yiner is not. And you're going to see, I think you're going to see a 50-50 split in center field with Dubon and Chess, quite frankly. I'm kind of expecting that. But they're both they're both performing at a level to where I don't think you there's a fall off either way too much. I think Dubon's probably going to give you a better average based on what he's done recently. I think Chaz has more pop, but but you can't, you know, even do then Dubon had a, a key home run for you. I think either way, that's fine. I think defensively, Ch- I agree with you. Chaz is a, st- a slight step above Dubon, but I don't think you lose a whole lot either way. No, I, I think that the way Dubon's been playing it, that's not a decision that's going to upset me. Like I-, I think a lot of the fan base would be upset if Dubon's starting over Chaz half the games. 
Look, Dubon's playing well. He's kind of been the hot hand. I can't get too mad at that, quite frankly. Uh, I watched the Frontline thing on uh, PBS DVR. I didn't watch it this morning. I don't know if you guys caught it or not. Uh, I went into this where, like, this stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Like, quite frankly, it doesn't because I know that this was a league-wide issue. Like, this was happening with every single uh, organization, most every organization. I can't say every single one, but most every one. I, I don't think that you would really learn a whole lot if you've kept up with the story throughout the years. Like, if you listen to the podcast, the podcast from Ben Ryder, uh, if you read The Winning Fixes Everything by Evan Drellich. I did find Jeff Luno sat down with... Um, with Ben Ryder for four hours. Yeah. He did a four-hour interview, which was uh, was very interesting because it's the most that Jeff Luno has sat down with anybody since then. He had like that little fluff piece with Vanessa Richardson. Yeah. If we're being honest, that was a very much fluff piece. Uh, Luno doubled down that he didn't know anything about it, which was also backed up by the video guy, Antonio Padilla, who right now is doing it. Uh, he was doing something earlier on Reddit, which I'm interested in going back and looking at. But Antonio Padilla also said that to his knowledge, he did not think that Jeff Luno had any knowledge that this was happening. So he kind of has something that validates Jeff Luno's, uh, like his take that he had no idea that this stuff was happening. Jeff Luno, by the way, also calls the Astros a dynasty. Astros are one of the best sports teams of the 21st century period, said Jeff Luno. I know that, that conversation is always something that goes on. The biggest thing to me was that, one, I think this to me should be the closure of the entire Astro science dealing thing. I know it won't for a lot of other people, uh, especially outside of the city. Mm-hmm. I honestly would love to see an, uh, like, uh, let's see a documentary on how this affected all of baseball. Let's sit down with members of the 2016 Red Sox and Yankees who were fined for illegally stealing signs before the Astros ever were. I would love to see a documentary on that. But also the timeline of this. I think that it makes it very clear after reading this yesterday that the last time the Astros used the banging a trash can scheme was September 21st, 2017 yep. with Danny Farquhar. We know that Mike Fires was the rat in all this. Mike Fires said it was home games in 17. His last year in Houston was in 2017. Tony Adams, who is a genius web developer, we, we all learned, he tracked all of this stuff. He tracked the bangs. Like it's very, He got into it a little bit, how sophisticated it was with his end of tracking the banging scheme on the trash can. He says it ended on September 21st, the day where Danny Farquhar uh, heard it called his catcher out, said, I think they have my signs. The Astros, we later learned, like scurried around that television in the little tunnel, and they took it out, and they got paranoid. They got freaked out. They were scared to ever do do it again. Also, we know that the players had immunity, right? Mm -hmm. There was zero recourse for them to tell the complete truth on some things, but lie on the others. So, like, why would everybody have the exact same story? And there were 68 witnesses. So if all 68 stories are adding up, this whole like timeline carried over to the postseason, to the playoffs, is conjecture, it's rumor, it's innuendo, and it's false. And then Antonio Padilla, the, the guy who worked in the video department from 16 to 2022, said that he didn't believe it carried into 2018, and he would know. So to me, it was the date that it all ended, September 21st, 2017, far before they were in the postseason and won a World Series. Uh, he talked a little bit about how they tried like the code breaker stuff in 18, but it never caught on, and they didn't do it like electronic or through a banging. They tried to give it to the runner at second, but they didn't like it, so they stopped doing it altogether. It had nothing to do with 19, and obviously it didn't carry over past that. So the timeline to me... Astros only did this for like three months, mm-hmm. and it all ended before the postseason of 2017. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think that that's the biggest thing to me, and I haven't watched it yet. I did start start it, and and I caught some excerpts of it. But the the main thing to me, 
And I ask you guys this question to kind of follow up on that because Luno has been adamant about the entire time that he did not know. But there's also the story that the the minor league scouts were saying that he had sent emails and talked to them about while they're out scouting, while they're out and about, try to find ways to pick up on how to steal signs. Which is so I'm saying is that is that two different things? I mean, I think that's fair. Like to yeah. to figure out coaches' signs and like let's see if we can pick up something from the pitcher or if we can like maybe a catcher's putting the signs too low, which that happens times too, where the catcher doesn't cover up the sign that they're getting and like a base coach can pick up on or it. Or his forearms moving a certain yeah, way. I don't with... I think that's fine. Like hey, let's advanced scouts, he... let's see if we can pick up on something. I think every advanced scout's doing that. Yeah, because I think that where they said it got more elaborate was he wanted to start charting it, he wanted to start, you know, breaking it down, he wanted to start, you know, having graphs that would, you know, kind of To be fair, he did that on every Everything. And he did. That's he what I'm saying. That so that's why everything. it's not hard to believe that he was doing it. But then if he was doing that, but then he was completely oblivious to anything that it was actually being executed yeah. and used, you know, and Hinch knew about it. You would think he was talking to AJ all the time. It, it, it just, you would think through passing. Yeah, I don't know if the if like like the dugout and stuff talks to the front office that intimately. But he was though. he was going through the dugout up the clubhouse stairs. He was at batting practice. He was on the field all the time. You got to believe between the TV and the video room and, and the people talking and things like that. I mean, when it got to the point where deeper into the playoffs, A Rod and Poppy and all and those guys knew about it. You knew the word was traveling. Mm. I had a hard time believing that at a certain point he didn't know. Major League Baseball couldn't find proof that he knew. And Antonio Padilla, who worked in the video department, says he does not think that Jeff Luno knew. I would imagine he heard some murmurs that stuff was going on. I think it was one of those things where I don't want to know. Probably. It was probably one of those things, don't tell me. Right. Um, Like his biggest, like the the thing that he really got in trouble for in Major League Baseball was that he didn't relay the information from the Major League Baseball office. The the cracking down on the whole sign stealing thing. Um, I think he's blackballed anyways. Like I don't think, I, I think it has more to do with his demeanor, how he was an outsider, how he was not liked by people within baseball. I think the Roberto Osuna thing comes into play, which is the one thing, too, like watching that. The one thing I feel gross about, honestly, from an Astros perspective, like the sign-stealing stuff I couldn't care less about. I think that was going on all over the place. They even mentioned how Carlos Beltran was the ringleader of all of this. Mm-hmm. I wonder where he got it from. He was on the 16 team that got fined by Major League Baseball, and Robert Manford told them, hey, don't talk about this at all. Don't talk about this to the media because they were trying to cover it up, as we all know. So we know where it came from. We know where it originated from. The origins were in New York and Boston before it ever got to Houston, and Manfred was trying to cover it up. To me, the one thing that I feel like icky about with the whole Astros thing was the Roberto Asuna thing. I wish they would have never traded for Roberto Asuna. Then you had the Brandon Tobman yelling at female journalists. Like, that's a terrible look. He got fired eventually, but that came after the Astros, like, backed him up and were telling the reporter she was wrong. And they're like, eh, there's a bunch of people here that are also going to back up the story. So that's the one thing I felt icky about watching this was the whole Osuna thing. And that's why I said I haven't seen it yet. I'm really interested, and I'll be looking for that as well. The one thing that I would say to your point that I agree with is he's been blackballed by his own doings. And this has nothing to do with the cheating scandal. Yeah, it will be tied into it. But he's been a pretty much an egomaniac and, and known as a guy that's very arrogant and doesn't treat people extremely well. And so I think that from that perspective, more than anything else, that has already been established because A.J. Hinch got another job. And, and everybody loves A.J. Hinch. And, and you know, there were rumors out there that Crane was t- texting him and talking to him it, during the year of his suspension almost every day to every other day. And he was constant contact because he still liked him and he trusted his baseball acumen. 
I don't think you, you get anybody saying those kind of things about Jeff Luno. And if Jeff Luno was going to get a job, he'd already have one by now. The other thing, too, is all the guys who have another job, Cora, uh, A.J. Hinch, the players are kind of oh, like Beltran the exception too. here. Mm, yeah, Beltran got fired by the Mets, and now he's working with again with the Mets as a special advisor. All those guys apologized. Like, all those guys were like, you know what? We're, we, were, we were wrong. We're sorry. Jeff Luno took the opposite approach. I didn't know anything. You can't blame me at all. I think if Luno would have came out from the very beginning and be like, you know what? This is my bad. I shouldn't have let it happen. I think he'd be working in baseball. Yeah, instead of apologizing, his wife is begging for a statue in front of Minute Maid Park. Yeah, just the, like, the way he, he reacted to all this rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And he was already universally disliked. Around Major League Baseball. And I'm saying with Beltran, he got hired in their front office, and he also got hired to do television, and, you know, he found another job. And, and Luno's doing, what, soccer? Yeah, somewhere he owns. In Mexico he has, or something? He has he two soccer team. teams, one, yeah. one in Mexico and, and one then one somewhere Spain, else. I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, he, he owns it, apparently, which I, I didn't know that. I thought he just, like, worked in the front office. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a great baseball mind that's never going to work in baseball again. 713-780-3776. Lance sent out a tweet the other day that, that intrigues me about paying the quarterback position. Obviously, you're going to pay the Mahomes of the world, the Josh Allens of the world. You, you have to play, pay the elite quarterbacks once you get them. But how about the fringe guys, like Daniel Jones that we saw the other day, like a Russell Wilson, like a Deshaun Watson? How do you handle that as an NFL team? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I almost got in a car accident yesterday. Some dude swerved in in my lane. I had to swerve out. Fortunately, I got the car under control. The dude that swerved in my lane actually went into the ditch but got out of it. Everything was okay. Everything was fine. But I was almost in a situation where I had a car accident, and I almost had to call Hollingsworth Law Firm, and I wasn't scared at all to call Hollingsworth Law Firm. Why? Because I know that I don't have to pay until I win. That's a big thing, Jeremy. The fact is a lot of people these days, you know, they're they're working hard to make ends meet and especially if the accident isn't your fault the biggest dilemma that you face is how can you find someone and pay someone even more money than you're going to be out of pocket for when you may have sustained some kind of bodily injury or you're hurt or your back is all jacked up or your car took it sustained a lot of damage and you need to get it fixed and you're dealing with all of that or you're fighting with either considering if it was their fault a lawsuit or you're working against the insurance companies that are just trying to take you to the cleaners and you feel like no one can help you and you're worried about if you can pay them you don't have to worry about any of those things with hollingsworth law firm because you're getting the best in the business and they're going to be in your corner every step of the way do not let the insurance companies run over you call right now for a free consultation hollingsworth law firm 713-999-8773 713-999-8773 or you can visit the website at car wreck texas.com that's carwrecktexas.com most bees make honey these killer bees make great sports insights but they also make honey don't ask about the process from the veritex community bank studios it's joel and jeremy the original Greek festival is back. Be Greek for a day. Experience Greek culture. Handmade Greek food and desserts. The original Greek festival kicks off tomorrow at 5 p.m. And we're giving away a four-pack of tickets right now. Caller number 8, 713-780-3776. Caller 8 to 713-780-3776. You'll get a four-pack to Greek festival, which begins 
tomorrow. All right, so Daniel Jones was a, a topic of conversation the other day. There was a big topic of conversation, like what you do with these fringe quarterbacks in the NFL, or you quite frankly, like, you know, if you don't pay them, then you're they're going to leave. If you don't pay them, then now you're trying to search for a quarterback again, and it is always very difficult to find a decent quarterback, be it through the draft, be it through free agency. Lance tweeted, not all quarterbacks are worth worthy of elite QB contracts. We all know who the very top-tier quarterbacks are. The numbers are low. The it's-his-turn mentality will consistently bury teams with heavy cap burdens from average to above-average quarterbacks who are win-with rather than win-because-of. I agree completely with that tweet from Lance Zerline. The question that I have, though, is... What do you do? Because if you're the Giants and you have Daniel Jones, last year you went to the playoffs. You won a playoff game with Daniel Jones. If you let Daniel Jones walk, if you let Daniel Jones leave, what are you doing? Like you're picking late in the first round. Whatever rookie quarterback you're getting late in the first round is going to have very. It's going to be very difficult to win with. You're evaluating the free agency market at the quarterback position. One that's going to be very competitive. Two, you're, it's not. You know, the, whoever makes it to free agency as a quarterback usually aren't very good. So initially, in the short term, you're taking a step back. Like, I know Daniel Jones has been bad, but if you let Daniel Jones walk, you do not have a quarterback now. I'd rather not pay a Daniel Jones type and take a step back initially, hoping that long-term I can find a guy. I just don't know what a realistic alternative plan looks like. Well, and I think it may work out for them very well if they're as bad as they look. But I think that they did the best thing that they could possibly do by trying to evaluate the situation, and that is go as short of a deal as we can possibly go. He did play well last year down the stretch, and and, and you know he was a, ma- a big part of why – you ended up getting your coach, coach of the year, getting to the playoffs and, and, you know, coming on at the end of the season. So it was a very, very difficult situation. You were stuck between a rock and a hard place, but you're right. They weren't going to have a draft pick high enough. And the other thing that, you know, in adding on to what you said is if you, no matter who you're going to get in free agency, you're going to overpay, whether they have the ability and they deserve it or not. When they get to free agency, they're getting money and they're probably going to get more money than they deserve because you're going to overpay to get them, especially if there's any competition at all. So they were in a very tough spot. The problem was, with all those things being considered, if Saquon's healthy for the full season, they feel like they've got the two weapons, and they had to sign Saquon as well, but they had the two weapons necessary to try and run it back. So they went the best course that they could short-term. They didn't give him a five-, seven-, nine-year deal. They didn't go way long-term, way monster money in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. You're screwed for this year and next year, and you can get out. But now there's a real realistic possibility. If you're really bad, you can get one of the top two quarterbacks in the draft early and then let them sit behind Daniel Jones for one more year, and then you still have four more years of a young quarterback. Yeah, I think you're looking at it a little bit more like specific to the Giants. Like This, to me, is like a big-picture team view. Like If you're in a spot where you have a fringe quarterback that's going to leave you if you don't give him a big contract, and he's going to get that from somewhere in free agency, but now you're without a quarterback. Now you're in trouble. How do you go about getting that quarterback? Like The quarterback's such a premium position where, one, you, you always need to be aggressively seeking out that quarterback position, trying to find that quarterback that is out there, but... If you let your guy walk, now you're in a lesser spot. Maybe not in this case specifically with Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. Like Maybe the Vikings are an example here. They won 13 games last year with Kirk Cousins. He's about to be a free agent. They're probably going to let Kirk Cousins walk, but they're going to be a lesser team for a year or two. Uh, There's all those fringe quarterbacks in the NFL that are making tons of money. I mean, look, I think Deshaun Watson can qualify here. Or Deshaun Watson, you know, at at his very, very best, is a top 10 quarterback, but is he a top 10 quarterback now? He's making 
taking the most guaranteed money in NFL history. Like, I don't know what the alternative plan is. Either you're just going to struggle with a mediocre quarterback until you hit and find your quarterback in the first round of an NFL draft or wherever you find them in the draft. I think it's very difficult. It is. It's, and it's a tough situation because, you're, you know, the evaluation process is going to be not only what you do internally, and if you make the right football decision, it's probably going to be perceived as a really bad decision by the fans and in a lot of cases by ownership because the owners are basically glorified fans. And for the most part, owners are not sitting in those meetings. They don't really have the ability to evaluate the talent. And if you take a step back because you let a guy walk, it's probably going to put your fanny on the line with ownership, whether you deserve it or not. Because if you are realistic enough in your approach to say, this guy's good, he's not great, I don't think he can take us as far as we're planning on going, and you decide on the hard truth of that to say, I'm going to let him walk and go somewhere else, you're really opening up the, the, the situation where you're going to be fast-tracked to the hot seat where you're going to face it from the fans. You're going to face it from ownership. You're going to have everybody pointing at you going, yeah. this is on you, and that's a, that's a risky proposition for any GM. The public perception, you almost have to bring them back, Like quite frankly. Mm-hmm. like You almost have to pay the quarterback, even though you don't necessarily believe in him or if he's a fringe guy. Like I, I think if you have that quarterback that isn't elite, but you're going to suffer in the short term if you let him go. I think you have to just deal with the scorn. I think you have to deal with the PR. Look, it's probably going to lose some GMs some jobs, quite frankly, but I think it's in the better overall interest of the team. If there's a fringe quarterback they don't have 100% belief in, and instead of paying them $40 million a year, you make the difficult decision of saying, see ya, we got to let you go. Maybe you get aggressive like a bridge quarterback for a year or two. Maybe you get really aggressive in the draft where you're trading three first-round picks to move into the top five. The last thing you can do, though, I think, I'd much rather be the team that's trading three first-round draft picks to draft a rookie quarterback and swing and miss than to be the team that pays Daniel Jones $160 million. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, you got an offensive-minded head coach in Dable, and and so, you know, that's now he's facing all the heat, too, because, you know, he won Coach of the Year last year, and everybody thought, well, he's a quarterback whisperer, and he's an offensive genius, and he's all these things. Well, now, as much as their offensive line is just hot garbage, they are that bad, Uh Daniel Jones does not look good. He stares down receivers. He makes a lot of bad decisions. And now everybody is taking it. They're all taking strays. They're all taking bullets. They're all in the crosshairs. And that's the biggest thing. You're right. Because like the organization themselves, they worry about what the fans think. The coach, the general manager, and whoever's involved in any kind of decision like that are going to put themselves in hot water almost immediately. Because now all eyes are going to be on where that quarterback goes, how they play, and then if your team struggles, no matter where that quarterback goes and what they do, you're going to be seen as the blame and the reason why. And that's that's a, a really tough predicament to be in. But if you look at the Colts, the Colts had everything else. And the Colts, uh, you know, they lost Andrew Luck. But they they finally made the move, but they didn't really have to, but they moved up a little bit. They got Richardson. But other than that, the swings and misses were putting Ballard on the hot seat. Ballard didn't get credit for building, building a really, really solid roster top to bottom offensively and defensively everywhere else in Indy. But without a quarterback, you're nothing anyway. Uh, OG says you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. How can you talk mess about Nick Strath and then say you would give up three first and miss for a quarterback? Texans didn't trade three first-rounders for C.J. Stroud. They traded three first-rounders for Will Anderson. They didn't even trade three first-rounders for Will Anderson. They traded 12-33, a second-rounder, to next year first. So that's uh, incorrect, OG. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line. 713-780-377. This guy said right here, BS, you trashed the Texans daily for trading for Stroud. The trade was to number three, class. Where was C.J. Stroud selected in the NFL draft, class? 
All right, 713-780-3776. I hope I'm wrong about the trade, though. I really do want to be wrong I said the same thing. about the trade. Yep. Uh, speaking of C.J. Stroud, uh, I've seen a lot of rankings of Stroud. There was one today, 33rd team, had him as the 17th quarterback right now. How high are you willing to go with where C.J. Stroud is right now? I'll tell you this, I'm going all the way to the top 10. Just how high, though? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.